know, on Thursday night, Casey and I were talking, and we were just talking about it again. Um, that song and that bridge is kind of hard to sing sometimes if we want to be really honest. Uh, I think sometimes it does feel like God lets us down. I think sometimes we do have moments when we don't see what God's doing. I think we have times when we think this is desperate. And I struggle sometimes singing songs when I don't, I think, man, do we actually feel this way? Do we actually experience this? Is this true? But the reality is the reason we can sing those words, the reason we can do that, even if in the moment we don't feel it, is because the reality is God's goodness extends beyond the moment that we're in. Amen? So it may in a moment feel like, like he's letting us down. It may feel like we're in a spot where, where things are, are just not looking good. But God's goodness says on the other side of this, we will see that he never lets us down. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just thank you for your goodness. And I pray right now for anybody in the room that might be in a spot where it feels like um, the lights have gone out, like things are dark. I pray for anybody in the room this morning that feels like... Uh, the future doesn't look bright. I pray that in this moment you would meet them. I pray that your spirit would touch them. I pray that they would be reminded right now of your goodness and that your goodness would fill their hearts with joy and peace and love. And Lord, I pray for all of us in the room this morning that our faith in your goodness, our trust in your goodness would allow us to be the kind of people who soar in this life. That we are lifted up that we move majestically through our days because we know a God who is good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You guys can be seated. So good worshiping with you guys this morning and so grateful for getting to worship together. Uh, you know, right now, um, historically, is when we usually pass the offering and uh, I don't know if you noticed this, we haven't done that for 18 months. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but we're so grateful for your generosity during this season. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of you got emails if you've been giving online that we changed our online giving platform. That one ended on the 15th of this month. And so um, I heard from Brent. Uh, he said, hey, we still have like 100 out of like 6,000 people who haven't yet opened their email to convert their stuff over. And so I'm just telling you, if you got that unread email out there from us, would you open that up? And uh, you can make that change online with us. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, you'll know why, why things are happening the way they are. So anyways, today we are in Leviticus chapter 26. This is the second to last chapter in the book of Leviticus. Which, yeah, someone said, oh, did someone just say, oh, yes, all right. There's a special place for people like you. <clears throat> yeah, put on straight jackets and all sorts of things. But uh, as we dive in today, I want to explain a couple of reasons why we've done this study. And I've said several of these things throughout the study, but I just want to explain this now. Um, number one, I don't think it's helpful when there are books of the Bible that we avoid because we don't understand them. Uh, I, I think that when we are people of faith and we have parts of our scriptures that we look at and we go, I don't even know what that's about. At some point, that's going to erode our faith. At some point, that's like a wave crashing against the cliff and there's this little thing that's like, what is that? What is that thing? What is that all about? And I think that undermines faith. And so I think it's really important for those of us that are people of faith to say, we need to understand books like Leviticus. It's strange, it's weird, but it means something. So, so that's the first reason. The second reason is really for those of you that are maybe exploring faith in Jesus and those of you that maybe are, are considering following Jesus. And I think that we have to study books like this because oftentimes it's stuff like 
we see in Leviticus that causes people to say, I don't know if I can trust, I like Jesus, but I don't know if I can trust the Bible. Or I like the New Testament, but I don't like the Old Testament. And so we dive into this to answer some of those questions for those of you that are pursuing faith or you're considering faith in Jesus. But then finally, I, I just, I actually love the book of Leviticus. I think it's this beautiful book that sort of functions like a key that unlocks so many other things in the Bible. And then later on, in fact, you're going to see this, I hope, for the rest of your life. You're going to come across things and you're going to go, oh, that's that Leviticus thing again. And you're going to be seeing how it points to that over and over again. So I love it for that reason. But that all being said, just like other things in the Bible, there are certain things in this text, certain things in Leviticus, that if they're taken out of context can truly undermine real faith, can actually tell a story about what faith is that it actually isn't. And, and today's text that we're going to look at today can specifically do this um, because there's an idea, there's a, um, there's a way of thinking about life, especially about life with God, that is very common among people. It's very common, it's very prevalent, and it's wrong. And it's passages like this one that support this kind of thinking. But this, what we're looking at today was written to a specific group of people at a specific historical moment. So our challenge when we come to texts like this one today, and I'm going to show you the challenge in just a moment, our challenge is to sort through what applies to them and what applies to us. Like we have some questions for this. We're going to have to take a step back and say, what, what generally speaking, what principles am I learning about who God is and, and who I am in light of this? What's in here that's for them and then what's in here that's for us? What, is, what does this say about our lives. So, so with that, I just want to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read 13 verses of Leviticus 26. It starts like this. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And then listen to what he says now in verse 3. If you walk in my statutes... If you observe my commandments, if you do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and, I sh and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, a hundred shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept. You shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and have made you to walk erect. So I want you to notice that there's some promises here. God says, listen, I'm going to promise in verse 4, I'm going to promise that there's rain. In verse 6, he promises peace in the land. Uh, verse 7, he promises military victory. Verse 9, he says, I will increase your number. Like there's going to be lots of babies. The church nursery is going to be full. That's what he's saying. Verse 10, there's prosperity. Like you're going to have so much food in your barns that you're going to be throwing it away to take in the new harvest because you're going to have that much prosperity. That's what he promises. But passages like this raise all sorts of questions. In fact, um, I get a little jumpy and a little edgy around this because there are people who use verses like this, they use passages like this to say something like what I'm about to say. If you follow God, 
if you do what God's telling you to do, if you keep his commandments, then you will get what you want. Like a nice house. Like a nice car. Like money in the bank. Right? Health for your family. You win. That's the idea. You read a passage like that and you see God saying, if you do all these things, I'm going to do all this for you. And then we translate that to us and we say, okay, if I do all the things God wants me to do, then all of these other things should take place. God should do this. In fact, passages like this are frequently used to reinforce not just that idea, but the idea that life is supposed to be comfortable. Like if this is what God's plan was for them, then that's God's plan for us. Like it's supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to go the way we plan. That comfort and pleasure are the primary objectives of God's plan for our lives. But let me ask you this question. Has that been your experience? <laughs> is that what you've discovered? You know, for those of you that have lived a little bit of life, quite the opposite, right? There's some faulty thinking in this. See, in order to be true to God's word, you have to look at all of God's word, right? We interpret the Bible with the Bible. We help the Bible explain itself. And when you do that, you come across passages that paint a very different picture than the one that just got painted in Leviticus 26. They force you to draw different conclusions than, than what we just mentioned. For example, there's this place in James where he talks about trials that people encounter and how they shape us. Or when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, go to the New Testament, look at his life, and it appears... That every time he obeys God, something worse happens to him. Like it couldn't be more opposite of what we read in Leviticus 26. So based on that, you have to draw a couple of conclusions and you have to draw some insights and, and, and figure out what we're taking away from Leviticus 26. And one of the first things I want to mention is this, and it's important that we remember this. God is speaking to a specific group of people at a specific place at a specific time. And the way he is relating to them is by saying this. He's saying, I am going to bless you in this culture I'm going to bless you so amazingly, so abundantly, that the nations around you will look at you as a nation, and they will say, God has to be with them, because look at what's happening there. Because that's how people thought. You were blessed if you were close to God. And so God said, if I want people to see me, I'm going to let them see me by being with you and by me blessing you. And so that's what he's telling them. People, the world will see that I am the one true God. So this is a very specific thing that God is doing at that point in time. By the way, there are numerous places in the Bible where God does that, and this is also good for us to know, where God says things or promises things that are intended for a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. That being said, that doesn't mean we just close up right now and go, okay, we've had a good service today, let's just walk away and be done, we'll, we'll be in chapter 27 next week. We don't do that, right? Because there are things that specifically apply to us living in a time like this that are here. For example, the, the verse that I hang on to in this chapter is verse 12. It says this, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. There's actually a principle here that we see repeated throughout the Bible. This isn't just in this place. This is in other places as well. Um, and if you could summarize this, God is saying this. I, if you live the way I've created you to live, then I will walk among you, and I will be your God. I, I think this is a really interesting picture, Right? Of all the images, of all the symbols that God could use, uh, talking about his relationship with these people, he uses the symbol of walking. We walk together. You have to remember, in, in this culture, they walked everywhere, right? There was no Uber. There were no cars. They, they were just walking every single day. Walking was the thing you did. Which means this. God chooses this everyday thing 
that everyone did to talk about his relationship with him. We walk together. It is a regular thing. Now, why did he choose this? Why does God make a big deal about walking? A couple of observations so we kind of seal this in our minds. Um, If you turn to Genesis chapter 5, we learn about a guy named Enoch. We read this in verse 24. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch and God were so tight that God said, you know what? I'm just going to bring you to hang out with me. That's what the Bible says. Enoch walked with God. Or or Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, this is the account of Noah. It says this, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. So walking, we start to see, is this Old Testament symbol of having a right relationship with God. You and God being close means you walk with God. You walk with him. Turn to Genesis chapter 24. Abraham's servant is quoting Abraham, and notice Abraham's perspective on his own life. Notice how he speaks of his life. Verse 40, he says, But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. So when Abraham's talking about the entirety of his life, when he's talking about all of his life, trusting God in spite of the circumstances in his life, when he talks about trusting God in those dark moments and in the good moments, when he talks about this, he says, the Lord before whom I have walked. He sees his whole life as a walk in the presence or a walk with God. So I want you to think about this for a moment. How complicated is walking? It's not very complicated, is it? Like if I yelled fire right now in this room, not one of us goes, okay, rise up. Now, heel, toe, heel, toe. If I yell fire, your body does it automatically, right? It's that regular. You, you just get up, you'll run. You won't walk. You'll run out of the room, right? You'd be gone if this happens. Walking, take note of this. Walking is totally natural. It's totally a part It's fundamental to who we are. You don't even have to think about it. And when God chooses the word to describe our relationship with him, he says, I will walk with you. Every now and then I'll have a a conversation with somebody who's dating someone, you know. um, And usually this happens when, uh, when they're in that what I call unicorns and rainbows phase of a relationship. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, do you guys ever fight? They're like, fighting? What's fighting? I don't even know what that is, right? We never disagree. Like, and they'll, you know, they'll talk about how great this person is, and they'll be describing him to me. And then at some point, and this has happened over the years so many times, I'll stop and say, um, well, how about their spirituality? Where, where's their relationship with Jesus? And I can't tell you how many times somebody has said to me, well, we haven't gotten to that yet. And I, and I think about that, and I've heard that over and over again. I think, you know, what, what it sounds like is like you have life, and you've talked about how you're so compatible and hobbies and all these things. But then there's this box over here that's called faith in God, and, and you haven't gotten to that one yet. Like, we've been doing all this other stuff, but that thing, we're, we're just sort of tiptoeing towards that, and we're going to talk about it. It's the same thing when you ask somebody, like, what does it look like to be a physician and a follower of Jesus? Or when you say, what's it look like to be a teacher and a Jesus follower? What's it look like to be an engineer and a Jesus follower, a contractor and a Jesus follower? People kind of look at you and go, what do you mean? What does being a contractor have to do with being a follower of Jesus? There's like this separation, right? Like, I have life, and then I have this box over here that's called my faith, and it sort of sets separate from everything else. That kind of thinking is pervasive. Like, like there's life, and then there's God, But notice what we learn from walking. Walking is natural, right? Walking is just an integral part of our existence. 
Walking is just what we do. And so by God using this imagery, he's saying, listen, I want you to pull me from the corner over here, and I want you to bring me into your everyday living and breathing kind of life. I want to walk with you. I want to do the regular stuff with you. But when you follow me, it's just like taking a step with me. There's this natural rhythm to things. You seek my counsel. You engage in my community. You read my word. You pray. It's just as natural as walking. It's just God says, listen, you want to know what it looks like to, to be with me? It's just this. Just walk. Go for a walk. Let me move through your days with you. That's what he's saying. Just walk with God. Now, I'm a fast walker. Not a speed walker. Not like the tights and Olympic speed walker thing. I don't do that. But I'm a fast. I walk fast. My wife walks really fast. When we get together, we walk fast together. We pass people all the time. That's what we do. Um, I know people who don't walk fast. They saunter. That word saunter is from the French sans terre, which means with no destination. Do you ever go someplace who saunters? You're like, there's some place to go, and they're just sort of wandering their way there, right? Now, if, if you go for a walk with somebody who saunters, somebody has to make a decision, right? <laughs> Either I'm going to saunter or you're going to speed up. But we're not going to do this this way, right? Somebody has to make a decision. You have to, I either choose their speed or they choose my speed, right? Let me ask you this. What happens when the person you're walking with is God? We choose his speed, it turns out, right? God doesn't choose our speed. We choose God's speed. If you want to walk with God, then you have to walk at God's speed. And let me just tell you this. Sometimes God walks a little faster than I'm comfortable with, right? Sometimes God's pace, he kind of makes me pick it up a little bit. And sometimes I'm not very comfortable with his pace. But then there's other times when God walks a little slower than I'd like him to walk. Are you with me on this? Sometimes God slows the pace down. I'm like, can we just pick it up, God? You're sauntering right now, and I'd like to get to where we're going. When, when you're walking with God, it is not his job to match your speed. It's your job to match his. We don't run ahead of God, and we don't lag behind God. We stay in step with him. That's the picture that's being painted for us. S several years ago, um, I took our family to, to New York City, and um, it was the first time that we had gone back as an entire family since we had moved from there. We used to live in Brooklyn, and we moved back to the West Coast, and, and, uh, and, and we took, them, took our kids there. We surprised them on Christmas morning with this trip. They had no idea. The, it was just like this amazing trip that we planned weeks or months in advance, and uh, unfortunately, two weeks before the trip, my youngest daughter, Meg, she broke her ankle ice skating. And if you've ever been to New York City, you know that the main form of transportation is walking. Like, you got to be good on your feet if you're in New York City. And so we have this trip, and we're like, well, we're doing it anyways. We've got to go on this trip. Like, it's this amazing thing. And, and we knew it was going to be tough for her. And so, um, so there's this one point we come out of a passageway. We've actually gone into Brooklyn, our old neighborhood, the first stop after Manhattan. It's one of the deepest stops on the train. And we get off, and there's escalators to get out of this train tunnel. It's that deep. And Meg's standing there with her crutches, and she's really nervous about getting on the escalator. And I don't blame her. And so she says, I'm not getting on. I'm, I'm taking the stairs. And uh, we have this picture just to show you. My daughter, one by one, puts her crutches, lifts her body up the next foot, crutches to the next step. It took forever. 
I didn't take this picture because it was cute. I took it because I was bored. <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to match her pace, right? I had to match her pace. I couldn't, I could not, I couldn't just leave her in the dust. In fact, uh, the whole time we were in New York, every time we were going places, we'd hear her behind us going click, clack, click, clack, click, clack with her crutches. And like, you'd be in the crowd, be like, is Meg still there? Yep, I still hear her. In fact, uh, that became her nickname for the trip. Her nickname prior to the trip was Peg Leg. More on that later. Um, but, but it was just such an, such an amazing moment. But th- this, this is what it looks like to match speed. You go the pace of the person. Also, side note, why is it that so many times when things are really good, when you plan a great trip, something bad happens like someone breaks an ankle? How come when you plan a picnic, after seven straight days of sunshine, you pick the day that it rains, Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Life's going along and then suddenly something happens and you don't expect it. Earlier I mentioned James. James is an interesting letter. It's found in the New Testament. Uh, Half-brother of Jesus wrote the letter. And, And he starts in a way that is shocking and honestly sometimes frustrating when I think about it. But listen to this. James chapter 1 verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it all joy, my brothers. And then what's the next word? When. When. It's not if you encounter trials. It's when you approach trials. It's not, you know what? You might be one of those unlucky people that just happens to encounter trials in your life. Nope, it's when. It's not like most of you are going to have a good, easy life, but a few of you, you're going to have some hardship. And for those of you that do, when that happens, no, it's you are all going to experience this whenever the mood is, if you are living, if you are breathing, if you are a functioning human being, you are going to experience trials. Or how about this? Uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is wrapping up what turns out to be a three-chapter sermon in the book of Matthew that, that he's talking about what it means to follow him. And for three chapters, he is talking about everything from greed to materialism to lust to anger to being blessed to retribution to revenge. He talks about suffering. He talks about persecution, all sorts of stuff. And then he's wrapping the whole thing up. He says this in verse 24 of Matthew 7. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Did Jesus say the rain might come if you're one of those unlucky people? Right? He says the rains rains came down, right? Right? There's a matter-of-factness to the words of Jesus. He's saying it's going to rain. It's going to rain in your life. There's a storm that is going to come. And if you want to find out if somebody really gets what I'm talking about, this is what he's saying. If you really want to know if someone has entered into the life that I offer them, if you want to see what a person really is made of when they understand all that I've been talking about, it's not going to happen when the sun is out. It's going to happen in the middle of the storm. That's when you will see if what I said took. That's what he says. Trials and rains and storms, they're a part of life. Can I just tell you, um, I got to see what my daughter was made of on the streets of New York. I got to see what my daughter was made of when she started charging up a giant flight of steps on her crutches. Storms happen. These things take place. 
But there's another story that brings us into perspective. If you turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with, with him in, I'm sorry, Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Uh, Which, by the way, I love uh, the detail that Mark gives us there. You just see Jesus with a little cushion, sleeping in the bow of the boat, right? By the way, is Jesus concerned about the storm? Not really, right? It's not that big of a deal. Notice the disciples' response, though. Verse 38, it says, They woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? (laughs) And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So there's this massive storm, and the disciples are freaking out, and they're wondering, is this it? Is this how the story ends for us? And then Jesus gives some simple orders, and the storm is gone. What does this tell us? What is this showing us? I think this is really important to catch. Apparently, storms look one way to us, and they look another way to Jesus, right? I mean, based on this story, what we're seeing is that we might be in the middle of the storm, and we see it one way, and this is how we see it, and we're reacting. We're being triggered by whatever is happening around us, and Jesus is looking at the exact same thing, and he just sees it differently than we do. Jesus sees storms differently than we see them. There's a passage in Isaiah that I think helps shape our understanding of God during times like this. When the storms rise, when the rain comes, when the wind is blowing the waves into the boat. Um, there's, a, there's a passage in Isaiah that I think is beautiful because it speaks to what happens when we walk with God through those times. Verse 3 of Isaiah 46 says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. You know, I'm a dad. And uh, I have this commitment to my family. I will carry you. And my girls know that. I think my son-in-law might know that. But my girls know that. (laughs) I will... We're going to get there. I'm going to carry you. And are there times, by the way, are there times in life when we don't know where we're going? Are there times in life when we go, I I don't know if I can actually go on. Are there times in life when we just stop and go, man, is this, God, are you letting me down right now? Those times happen. That's not intended to make us feel bad. It's not that we have less faith, that we haven't done the right things. That's an opportunity for us to lean in to God. In fact, I want to show you the opposite. We, we feel bad because we cry out or because we're desperate, because we're like the disciples in the boat and we don't see things the way Jesus sees them. We feel guilty for that. But notice what the Bible says about crying out. Psalm chapter 6, verse 9 says, The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. So idea number one is when I cry out, God actually hears me. When God, when God hears you cry, he responds. Um, Psalm chapter 9, verse 12, it says, For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. So not only does God hear you, but when you're afflicted, when you're in distress, God doesn't ignore you. He sees you in your distress. God sees you in your pain. Notice chapter 10, verse 17. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. So he sees you, he hears you, and then he gives you strength in the middle of this. He gives you enough that you can get through. 
If you turn to Psalm chapter 34, verse 17, notice what it says about people who just lose it. People who lose control, they lose perspective, they get caught up with their emotions, they don't have it all together, they get scared, they even cry. Verse 17 says, when the righteous cry, I think it's good to know that righteous people cry for help. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Are you brokenhearted? Is your spirit crushed? Have you experienced these things? It doesn't say he does it immediately. It doesn't say that he does it at our pace. But it does say that he's near to the brokenhearted and that he strengthens those who are crushed and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that interesting? When you and I cry out, God sees us and he hears us, he strengthens us, and eventually he lifts us. He, he lifts us up and he carries us. He carries us until we're gray, it says. Interestingly enough, um, that trip to New York wasn't the first time I was with that particular daughter with a broken leg in New York. Um, years ago, uh, right before we were moving to New York City, it was two days before we were moving to New York in 2005. I was loading up our moving truck, and um, the kids were kind of outside in our, in our neighborhood playing in the yard and doing a few things, helping as much as they could. And I'm in the moving truck, and suddenly I hear screaming. Um, I have girls, so I hear screaming a lot. I need you to know this. There's lots of screaming. But you know when there's that scream that's like the scream that you know is not like any other scream? I hear that kind of screaming. And so I, I realize something horrible has happened. And so I go running out of the truck. I go running down the ramp, and I go running towards the screaming. And there's like a hedge that's over here, and I run around it. And when I run around the corner of this hedge, I see my youngest daughter laying in the street. And I glance around, and I see a car, and I see a woman getting out, trying to come back to look at what she ran over. So we had this chocolate lab. And when we were moving to New York, we thought, this probably isn't the best place for her. And there was a little Down syndrome boy that lived across the street. His name was Aaron, and he used to come over every day and play with our dog. And so we thought, you know what? Why don't we let Aaron adopt Java when we move? And so here we are. The kids were, had taken the dog over, and now they were taking over the bowls and the leashes and all the other dog toys over, and they were all doing it, the three of them together. And Meg, in that process, her sister was pulling her. She pulled away, spun into the street, and the car strikes her. I run up to her in the street, there is so much blood that I don't know, I don't know which way she's facing. I just see blood everywhere. Um, there's a tire track across her chest. Um, I, I, I did what any dad would do, and it's the exact thing you're not supposed to do. I, I scooped her up. And, and clearly when I scooped her up, I knew her leg was broken. It was just dangling there. And I scooped her up, and I, I, I pulled her into my shoulder, and she's just starts screaming and screaming and, and I just remember as she's crying out I just kept saying it's going to be okay it's going to be okay it's going to be okay and I run with her about that point Sherry comes out of the house she sees what's happened she starts screaming it's going to be okay it's going to be okay and I remember going to their house and laying her down we call 911 I remember the paramedics it all happened so fast but I remember the paramedics getting our house and I remember them cutting off her little jeans and, and cutting off her little shirt and I remember them working on her there in our, in our, in our family room and, and I remember just saying it's going to be okay it's going to be okay it's going to be okay. I remember when they put her in the ambulance and I had to follow behind. I remember driving behind and I just kept saying that over. It's going to be, everything is going to be all 
right. At that point, I was just telling my heart what I knew God was saying to me. Everything's going to be all right. Can I just tell you this, that God, God desires a people who will admit that they're hurting. He, he, he desires a people who admit, I'm lost. I messed up. Made a mistake. I'm confused. He desires that. And when you cry out to God, he reaches down. Even if he was supposed to put you in traction, he reaches down and he scoops you up and he says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I, I will never forget hearing the cries of my daughter. But when I think about that moment, I, I'll never forget the feeling of, of wanting to protect her, of wanting to rescue her. The instinct to rush in and do something, that's the heart of the Father towards you and I. His instinct is to rush in to the situation with you. His instinct is to come to you. I, I think about this. Isn't it interesting that one of the most intimate moments, one of the most like intense moments of my relationship with my daughter was when the rain was falling down. Could it be that that's how God feels about us? That in the middle of that storm, he's like, here we are, we're together, I've got you in this. God is okay with people who don't have all the answers. Are you, are you with me on this? He wants to whisper in your ear, it's gonna be okay. So what do you need to cry out to God for? Is there an area of your life where you've just been white-knuckling it, you've been trying to pretend you have it all together? Is there, is there a situation, is there something you're walking through right now, you're navigating and you just feel like it's spiraling out of control? Does it just feel hopeless? Are you in the middle of a storm? Whatever it is, I just want to encourage you. God is looking for people who he can strengthen and comfort during those times. And we just simply need to cry out to him and say, God, I want to walk with you no matter what. Amen? Would you stand with me? When we're done today, um, our elders are hanging around. And if you need to pray with somebody... Um, just hang around your seat. Maybe look obvious. I don't know. Raise your hand up or something. But hang around. Sit in your seat. If you stay seated, odds are one of our elders will come find you. And if, you, if there's something that's just stirring out of this, because that happens, we come here to open up our hearts and say, God, examine. And if, if there's something that in this process, God's just sort of like touched on something and you want to pray with someone, um, they're here to help you do that. Um, but as you go today, may you, may you be men and women who walk your everyday, average, normal life with God. And may you have the privilege of hearing him say, everything is going to be okay, even in the biggest storm. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We love you guys so much. Have an amazing, amazing day. Please say hi to friends. Hang out. Enjoy the outdoors. We, we just love that you guys are here and connect with some people. We'll see you guys next Sunday. See you later.